So I wonder if you've ever heard the term, the fifth column. Has anybody ever heard that? Uh, the dictionary defines the fifth column uh, as infiltrators or collaborators with the enemy. The term has been used worldwide to describe traitors who assist the enemy from within. A covert group of people who attempt to undermine their own country from within through rebellion and sabotage. I did some research on the term uh, this week, and it was actually inspired by General Emilio Mola during the Spanish Civil War in 1936. Apparently, Mola was planning to capture the city of Madrid. And when he, asked, when he was asked how he intended to do that, he said, I have four columns of troops poised outside the city, one on the north, south, east, and west. And he said, but it's the fifth column that I'm expecting to take the city. And so the interviewers were curious about that, and they said, well, General Mola, where is that column located? And he said, inside the city. You see, General Mola had had a fifth column strategically placed inside the walls of that city, a secret group of sympathizers who were loyal to him, the enemy. The fifth column was his secret weapon. They had been living covertly among the citizens, secretly working against them in total allegiance to their enemy. And their goal was to bring down the city, and it worked. And all this time that the, that fifth column was living within the walls of the city, the, the citizens were mingling with them from day to day. They were interacting with them, and they were totally oblivious that they were tools of the enemy. The fifth column were loyal to the enemy. Uh, the enemy, D General Mola, counted on them to open up the gates and deliver the city to him. <laughs> I hope you're drawing the comparisons right now. Would you be surprised to know that we too have a fifth column operating within our walls? A fifth column that is more than willing to cooperate with our enemy, the enemy of our soul, the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's called the flesh. And like General Mola, our enemy is counting on our flesh to cooperate with him. In his battle against us, he's expecting our flesh to open up the gates of our city to him so that he can bring defeat. Scripture, especially the passage we're going to study tonight, uh, gives us some insight about this inside enemy, the flesh. Or some of your translations will translate it the human nature or the sinful nature. But no matter what you call it, the flesh is the covert enemy working from within to bring defeat into our lives. We cannot be unaware. I need to tell you that the church will never be defeated from without. We are undefeatable because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. The only way to defeat us is by the fifth column, by the enemy within. And whether you believe it or not, every one of us has an enemy trying to take us down from within. Although we've been crucified with Christ, and, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me, the fleshly desires are still alive and well. And the devil exploits those fleshly desires and sinful passions and uses them to try to bring us down. And like so many citizens in the city of Madrid during the Spanish Civil War, we live totally oblivious to it. We're so busy with our day-to-day -day life, we're totally unaware of its power to bring defeat. It strikes me how many of us are, are, are so consumed with uh, uh, spiritual warfare and the battle that's going on in the heavenlies. <laughs> when there's an internal spiritual warfare taking place, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, General Electric Power Company, go eat popcorn. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I still have to do it in my head. Um, Galatians chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. You need to know that prior to this, Paul was talking uh, about how did you start out by grace? Because you're saved by grace and through faith and not by works <laughs> so that no man can boast. How did you start out understanding that you were saved because of the Holy Spirit drawing you to God? That you were saved and, 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 and brought to God through the power of the Holy Spirit and now you're trying to work your way into heaven again. Now you're trying to do things in your own power again. How did this happen? And so he's trying to correct that. And he says, so I say to you, here's the solution. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Has anyone ever had a sinful nature work against them? Maybe an addiction or a behavior or something that you're doing in your life that you absolutely hate, and yet you cannot seem to get free of it. This is the solution. He says, this is what you do. You live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful desires. You, you don't work harder. You, you don't grin and bear it. You don't grit your teeth and, and try, try, try again. You live by the Spirit. That's the solution. And then in verse 17, he says, for the sinful nature, oh, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with one another. So that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and can I tell you that word means obvious. They're manifest. Everybody can see them. You're, you're not fooling anybody. And even if they're one of those that you can keep hidden, they're, they're obvious to God. So the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, hatred, I'm sorry, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You see, just in case you have a checklist going and you can say, that one isn't mine, doesn't fit me, I, I don't, that's, I'm not on that list, I don't struggle with anything on that list, he adds, and the like. It's like a junk drawer. I have a junk drawer in my house. Anybody have a junk drawer besides me? The stuff that doesn't fit any place else, I throw in that junk drawer. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, and the like, just in case you don't struggle with any of those things that I just listed, and the like hits it. And it might be pride if you're saying, I don't struggle with any of those things, but uh, and the like. He says, I warn you as I did before. So this is not a new conversation he's been having with them. It's just the first one we're reading. That those who live like this, who live caving in to that list of things that I just showed you, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you, Carol. Well, would you just pray with me before we begin? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit that empowers us and, and gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I'm really aware that without you, I, I can do nothing. And so, Lord, I'm asking for you to have mercy on me and for you to fill my mouth with your words and help me to say only what you tell me to say. Father, you know what each one of us needs to hear, Lord God. You know exactly what you wrote your word to say. And so, Father, I, I pray that I would not uh, misrepresent it in any way, shape, or form. And, but, Father, that your word would be spoken in this place with clarity and that you would grant understanding and insight and wisdom and father that you would disciple us and teach us lord god according to your word i pray seal my lips lord god to anything that's not of you but help me to boldly 
and confidently proclaim your word in this place tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Holman, Holman Commentary summarizes the passage I just read in this way, and I like it, so I want to read it to you. He says, the law was powerless to help a Christian overcome these sins. We may want to please God, but our nature, our sin nature, continually pulls us into disobedience. The answer to this battle between the old and new nature is found in the inward ministry of the Holy Spirit. To experience victory, we must live or walk by the Spirit. As we live our lives in dependence on and obedience to the Holy Spirit, we will not gratify the sinful nature. I think that sums it up so well. But let's look at it in a little more depth tonight. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's important to define those two words, spirit and flesh. When Paul talks about the Spirit, he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit living within us as believers. This passage will not apply to an unbeliever. You see, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came and took up residency within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us, and He's there uh, to, to empower us and, and to equip us, to guide us and to direct us. The Holy Spirit gave us a new nature when we came to Christ, and He remained in us. He dwells in us and provides power for our life. He works with us to help us with the sanctification process so that we can become more like Christ. When Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our skin and in our body. He's talking about the part of us that wants independence from God. The part that wants to do it my way, not God's way. By flesh, Paul means what we are by nature and inheritance, our fallen condition. David Gusick, one of my favorite commentators, uh, puts it this way. He says, when Paul uses the term flesh, he didn't mean our flesh and blood bodies. Precisely speaking, our flesh isn't even that fallen nature or the old man that we inherited from Adam because the old man was crucified with Jesus and is now dead and gone. Instead, Paul uses it here, the flesh as the inner man that exists apart from the old man or the new man which is trained in rebellion by the old nature, the world, and the devil. Even though the old man was crucified with Christ and is dead and gone, his influence still lives within us through the flesh, and he will battle against us until we experience God's final antidote to the flesh, a resurrected body. That was David Gusick. I need to just pause here and just, just kind of give you some understanding of, of what he's saying and what's taking place there. Uh, you understand, uh, do you not, of what, what happened with Satan in heaven? Does, does everybody understand that whole principle? I, I, I need you to, to realize that, that, that there are two realms, is there not? There's a natural realm and there's a spirit realm. Does everybody agree with me there? You see, we're not always aware of that. We, we live in the natural. We live with what we can perceive with our eyes. But there is another realm that's taken a place around us. It's the spirit realm. The Bible says that we have a body. Oh, can I tell you this body? Uh, it's getting old. It's wearing out. And I hate it because my spirit man is alive and well. But this body has to take my spirit man where it goes. And sometimes it doesn't cooperate. And, and, and we have a body and it's simply there. This flesh is just simply there to get me where I need to go. So I can see you to relate to you. But we have a soul. You've heard me teach this a million times. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. And, and the Bible says that, that, that our, our mind is, is, uh, is, is, needs to be transformed by renewing it with the word of God. And we, we have a spirit. We are a spirit man. Those who worship God will worship him in spirit and truth. We're created in his image and in his likeness. God is a spirit. And so when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what gets the, where's the new man? My spirit. 
is sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can touch it. And, and that's my spirit, man. But how many of you got saved and then went home and woke up the next morning and you were still nasty and unkind and, and grouchy as can be? And, and you thought, did I even get saved? Because nothing changed. It's because your spirit, man, changed. You got a new man, new spirit. But your soul, baby girl, baby boy, is still in need of some repair. And so I want to just make you aware that we are a three-part being and that we live in the natural, but there is a supernatural or a spirit realm. And in that spirit realm, many of you will remember that that, that Satan used to live in that realm. Does everybody remember that? Lucifer, the bright and morning star, and the Bible describes him as he has had a great appearance and he was, had a powerful position in heaven. Do you understand that, that he did? But he decided that he wanted to rebel against God and his ways, and he excited a rebellion in heaven. And in fact, it was such a, uh, such a rebellion that he took, what, a quarter of the angels with a third of the angels. A third of the angels with him, Dave says. I thought it was a quarter. He took a third of the angels with him. And, and they excited a rebellion against God. They didn't want to do things God's way. Can I tell you, he is still in the, he is still in the business of exciting a rebellion against God in his people. He wants you to rebel against God. And so you know Satan was kicked out of heaven, and where did he land? I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. He is the, he is the, the prince of this air. And so him and his third of, of all the angels are now here on earth doing what? They're doing his bidding. His demons are doing his bidding. And what is his bidding? What does he come to do? Seal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's doing. That's his mission, is to get you to rebel, to get me to rebel against God's word. That's his whole purpose in life. And we cannot be unaware of that. And so someday Jesus is going to return, and he's going to kick him out of this earth and into hell. But until that time, you and I have to, be, have to understand that when we see traits like we just saw listed in Galatians, though the, I heard Mark Driscoll, I don't care what you think about him, I, I've heard some things about him, and, but I heard him talk one time about this very thing. And he was talking about how we can either live heaven down or hell up. And I loved it. I loved that illustration. Maybe Bill Johnson, for example, will talk about bringing heaven to earth. And we bring it to earth by by the way we manifest his presence and his behavior here on earth, his characteristics here on earth. Are you with me? And as a Christian, our goal should be to bring heaven to earth, that every encounter you have with me, I should smear a little heaven on you just by the way I'm acting. But how about some of us, we bring hell up, and instead of me smearing heaven on you, I smear some hell all over you through my behavior. And Satan's whole purpose here on this earth is to elicit a rebellion against God's word in your life so that you bring hell up instead of heaven down. And we cannot be unaware of that. And ultimately, when we begin to see the things manifest that are on this list, when we see hatred and discord and division, oh, I have no tolerance for division. When we see dissension, when we see sexual immorality, when we see addictions, when we begin to see those things, I can tell you he is not far behind. My son Tyler says, if, if Satan can't keep you out of heaven, he's going to make you live like hell here on earth. That's his goal. He excited a rebellion against God in heaven, and he's still doing the same today. His goal is to get us to rebel against God. And so we must constantly be asking ourselves, is this God or is this the enemy? Am I bringing heaven down with my behavior and, and the things I'm saying, or am I bringing hell up? It's a choice, and that's what we see in this passage. We have a choice. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not bring hell up. And that word flesh there, walk by the Spirit, he says. Walking according to the Spirit means living in connection with the Holy Spirit. It means under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, leaning on Him, relying on Him for our daily decisions, letting our actions and reactions be controlled by Him, walking by His direction. It's interesting, the tense there is present. 
It means it should be our continuous, ongoing, habitual practice to walk by the Spirit. The tense indicates it needs to be a lifestyle that we live, that I need to choose to live a way of life that in every way is directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Yield it to him and to his ways. The Bible says, set your mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. That's part of letting the Holy Spirit guide you. He says, walk by the Spirit. Romans 8 says, those who are led or walk by the Spirit are the sons of God. The Life Application Commentary says, living by the Spirit means we submit to his authority We welcome his guidance. We accept his correction. We live under his restraint. We rely on his power, and we allow him to unify us with other believers. Can I just tell you that living by the Spirit does not mean a casual part-time relationship with the Spirit. We must treat his control like a shower, one commentator says. If we stand back and stick our foot or hand into the stream of water, we may guess what the temperature of the water is, but we will never get clean. We must be immersed in the Holy Spirit, as if stepping fully into the shower's cleansing and invigorating stream, letting us cover it letting it cover us. We have to go all in with the Holy Spirit. For those of you uh, that, that have not heard, we're going to have two nights of impartation coming up in June and July. I'm super excited uh, about those nights. And, and we are going to really, uh, the, I, I'm gonna, I, I intend to, to enter into that with a time of fasting. And, and I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do because we have got to become a people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are immersed in His presence, who are sensitive to His power. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. He said, if we do this, we're not going to gratify those desires. In other words, our ability to restrain our sinful desires depends on how much we're willing to live by the Spirit how much we yield to the Spirit's influence in in our lives. I want you to remember that Paul is writing this to Christians. He's writing this to, to people who have already received the Spirit of God. You see, when we are born again, fleshly people become spirit people, spirit filled people. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And but Paul was talking to those very people because he's totally aware of how easy it is to relapse into being controlled by the flesh. How easy it is for Christians to resort to those behaviors that we saw listed later on in this passage. Yielding to the Spirit is the answer. And Paul says that when we do that, when we do what he tells us to do, when we walk in his ways and can let our conduct be directed by him, that that is the way of life. But we have a choice. Every day, every minute of every day, we have a choice what we're going to yield to. Will I yield to the Spirit and do what He tells me to do, or will I yield to the flesh? Can I tell you, my flesh is strong. I don't know about some of yours. But, but I was bad long enough that my flesh is strong. Because sin is tasty for a season. I promise you it's tasty. I lived it. Sin is tasty for a season. And the Bible says, but in the end... In the end, it leads to death. And see, I've learned that. But every day I am faced with, will I indulge my flesh and give my flesh what it wants, or will I choose to yield to the Spirit's guidance because God knows more? Isn't it, isn't it so ironic? Isn't it so sad? How I think I know more than God. God, I know you tell me not to do this. <laughs> but I'm going to anyway. I know you tell me this is for my best that I don't do this, but mm, really, can't I do it anyway? God, I know what you say about that, but I feel like doing this. And every time I do that, I yield to the flesh instead of the spirit. He says, walk in the spirit. Leah, this is your favorite word, peripateo. The word peripateo, uh, peri means around, and the word pateo means to walk, to tread, to trample. It literally means to habitually walk around in one general vicinity. 
It can sometimes be translated live. Paul is basically saying live in the spirit. I I really like Rick Renner's uh, definition of peripateo. He says that it suggests a person who has walked in one region for so long that it has now become his environment, his place of daily activity, the sphere that encircles his existence. One expositor uh, notes that the word peripateo could best be explained by thinking of a person who has walked in one path so habitually that he would be able to walk that path blindfolded because it's his path, his sphere, the place where he habitually lived and functioned. That's what Paul was saying. I want you to get so used to walking in the Spirit. The, the word means trample. When Leah and I talk about it, well, I always use the illustration of college campuses. Do, do you know that college campuses, that they, they will not put sidewalks in when they build a new campus until several months after the students move in. Because they understand that they can, the students will trample down a well-worn path where they frequent. And so they wait to put the sidewalks in so that they can see where they frequent, where the path they take the most. That's the word for peripateo. It means the trampled down area, the place you go the most. And, and Paul was saying, I want the place you frequent, the place you trample down, the path that you are on to be the path of the Spirit. And when you do that, you will not gratify the, 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 the flesh. You say, well, Rhea, this whole Christian thing, there's too many do don'ts on this for me. I don't like it. I, it's, it's too legalistic, all these don'ts. I, you know, I've never struggled with legalism in, in my mind because I, I don't focus on the don'ts. I focus on the do's. <laughs> because can I just tell you that God has such a good plan for your life, that there is such an incredible purpose that he has for you. It is so fun living this life. I love it. I love getting up in the morning and just saying, Lord, who do you want me to talk to today? Who do you want me to share you with today? How can I bless somebody today? How can I encourage somebody today? Oh, Lord, give me a word and due season for this person. That is so much fun. I'm just telling you, that is so much more fun than the life I lived before that led to death. And I get up in the morning, and I'm like, what do you want to do today, Lord? And obeying his word is not a task that I need to just, oh, I have to do this. It is I get to do this because it's so much fun. It's the way to life. He says, do this and you won't fulfill the, the, the deeds of the flesh. The word fulfill there is the word teleo, and it means to reach one's goal. But because of the tense and the strong negative that are used here in this Greek phrase, Paul is telling us, Renner says, that if we walk in the Spirit, we have basically pulled the plug on the flesh. As a result, we have nullified the yearnings of the flesh so that they will never be fulfilled. You see, I don't have to, to say, I have to be nice, I have to be nice, I have to be nice, I have to be nice. I, I don't have to, I can't get angry, I can't get angry, I can't get angry, I can't get angry. If I just live doing God's will, doing what God tells me to do, living the way he tells me to live. It's just automatic. It's automatic. I believe this is the secret to a victorious Christian life. The Spirit enables us to walk out supernaturally what the flesh is powerless to do. It's all that work of grace. It's all that work of grace. Verse 17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. We have two natures at work within us, the flesh and the spirit. That's why when we get saved, I told you, we wake up and we say, I thought I got saved. Shouldn't I not be angry anymore? Shouldn't I not be addicted anymore? You see, salvation doesn't end the temptation. The reality of salvation is the beginning of a conflict, the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. You say, well, Rhea, I don't have a sinful nature. This, I hear this all the time. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. My sinful man died. Yeah, right? I'm glad that you have no struggle with sin. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. But I read in 1 John 1, 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. To deny that the sinful nature still exists within us, it, it, it does not exist within us, is to be deceived. John Stott, one of my very favorite commentators, says this. Some teachers maintain that the Christian has no inner conflict, no civil war within himself, because, they say, his flesh has been eradicated and his old nature is dead. 
This passage contradicts such a view. Christian people, in Luther's graphic expression, are not stocks and stones. That is, people who are never moved with anything. Never feel any lust or any desire of the flesh. Certainly, as we learn to walk in the Spirit, the flesh becomes increasingly subdued. But the flesh and the Spirit remain, and the conflict between them is fierce and unremitting. Max Anders said, when Christ died, our flesh was judged. This does not mean our propensity to sin had been eradicated or rendered inoperative. We must accept that our old nature has died with Christ and that, that as new people we have an increasing power to resist sin. But that sinful nature is still alive. Sin, because of what Christ did on the cross for us and because we've been crucified with, us, is no, with him, is no longer our master. <laughs> but it acts like a guerrilla force attacking when we least expect it. It acts like that fifth column that are hiding in our walls <laughs> to bring down our city. If you don't think you have sinful desires in your life, look at 1 Peter 2.11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Look at that, wage war. It's a battle. And we see that in, in the next verse because Paul says the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. The two are opposed to each other. They're an antagonistic. They are at war with each other. They are two incompatible uh, forces in conflict with each other. And which one we yield to determines whether we walk in victory or not. This is why, hear me, if you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. See, this is why nobody wants our Jesus. Because we don't look any different as Christians than the unbeliever down the street. And so they say, why would I want their Christian? Why would I want their Jesus? Look at how they act. They act just like they uh, some are uglier than the unbeliever down the street. And it's because we have never learned the secret to victorious living. And that is yielding to the Spirit in our life and not to the flesh. It's not trying to be a better person. It's not trying to get free from, from the thing that, that has its grip on us. It is saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'm asking your Holy Spirit to do it through me. Empower me. Equip me to do it. And I'm going to yield to whatever you tell me to do. It's not a works mentality. It's a grace. It's Him gracing us with the ability to do it. We have two alternatives in our life, two possible ways to live, one after the flesh manifesting the works of the flesh that we saw in verse 19 through 21, the other after the Spirit manifesting the fruit of the Spirit that's in verses 20. But as long as we live in this world, there's going to be conflict taking place within us, a war between the flesh and the Spirit, between my human desire and what God desires. And the answer is, can I tell you what the answer is? The answer is, oh, turn it over. i got to just jump ahead to this passage. I didn't want to give this to the end. But let's flip over to Romans 6. Uh, I'm sorry. To Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. For those who are controlled by the Holy but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Somebody said to me uh, yesterday at church, they said, Rhea, I'm going to come and hear you, you preach on, on Galatians. But uh, she said, I'm a numbers person. And I need it to all add up. I, I need to just know what to do, how to make it happen. And, and, and I said, I'll, I'll try to do that. Here is the answer. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. So if you don't want to be dominated by all those things, all those ugly things that were listed out in the flesh, don't think about them. Think about the spirit. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Do, do, you, do you see it there? That, that, that we need to, to choose our ability to yield and surrender to the Spirit is in direct correlation to what we're focusing on. 
If I get up in the morning and I spend time in his word, that word is always in my mind all day long, guiding and directing me. But if I get up in the morning and I get on Facebook and Instagram and I send some Snapchats to my friends and, and, and I'm just watching TV, Dr. Phil, is that even on? If, if, I start, if that's what I'm filling myself with and focusing on, I promise you I'm going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm going to say, Leslie, she has more than I have and I want to house as big as hers and and she's thinner she's so much thinner than i gotta work on this weight and and i gotta uh, can you believe her husband got her that ring i want a ring like that i can't believe how little my diamond is i want a bigger ring and and, and oh did you see her house she has a house cleaner i want somebody to clean my house they were out drinking the other night they looked like they were having so much fun did you see those daiquiris they were drinking i think that was like so much fun and we wonder why death comes because to focus on the things of the flesh, this is God's word, I'm not making it up, is the way to death. But to focus on the things of the spirit is life and peace. If I get up and I say, ain't nobody got time for that this morning. I am not wasting an hour on Facebook today. I, if that's your thing, then I'm sorry, I'm just pulling it out. But, but, but I must spend an hour in the word of God because his words are what? Life. They're life. And see, some of you are wondering why you are so full of death. It's because what you're focusing on. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. You're focusing on what somebody did to you and how awful it was and how dirty you were treated and, and, and how mean it was and the trauma you went through. I am so sorry. Listen to me. I am deeply sorry about the trauma that you went through. But here's what I know. The same God who saved you will deliver you out of that. He will give you what you need to walk free from that. But you will never find it in any other source. And we have got to start directing all of our energies to the one who is able to deliver, for the one, to the one who is able to set us free. Because it is for freedom that you've been set free. Don't you dare be yoked again by a yoke of slavery. It is slavery. It is the enemy of our soul who fell from heaven because he was rebelling against God. And he wants you to be a slave to sin. He wants you to be a slave to addiction. He wants you to be a slave to hatred. He wants you to be a slave to unforgiveness. He wants you to be a slave to jealousy. That is his goal. And he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we have got to get smart. There's a fifth column at work in your life, behind the walls of your city, trying to bring you down. A covert first force that you're not even aware of. That's designed by the enemy to bring you down. And we've got to stop pulling heaven up and start pulling heaven. We've got to stop pulling hell up and start pulling heaven down. Verse 19 says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're, they're obvious. Oh, oh, I just I just want to tell you this. Can I just read this one to you? Oof. See, people say, well, you know, the law. Can you talk about the law? And we don't have to keep the law. And Rhea, you preach sometimes, and it feels like you're telling us to keep the law, to obey the Bible. This, I just thought this was so good. This is from uh, the Life Application Bible, or commentary. He says, when Paul says that those things under control of the Spirit are not under control of the law, he's talking about accountability for Christians. Paul does not invalidate the law. He only states that the law is no longer in charge. The Holy Spirit takes control. Most parents, and this is what I thought was so good because I'm one of these parents, most parents establish certain house rules when raising their children. These laws cover such things as who gets in the house when mom and dad are away, where kids can and can't go without a specific, having specific permission, additional responsibilities when the parent is not present. But when the parents are still there, the laws take a secondary function. Mom and dad still have the rules, but they supervise personally. The Holy Spirit's present means that, that we are free from having to worry about measuring up to the law now that we have the freedom to even go beyond the law because we have a direct link with the Holy Spirit himself. Do you see what he's saying? The laws are still applying. It's just now mom and dad are home. I don't have to leave this set of laws for you to obey. When Dave and I would leave town, <laughs> we had a list of laws <laughs> that we left for the kids do this, 
Nobody is to be in our house. You're not to have any parties. You, you know, you, this is the number you call if something happens. We left a list of law because in our absence, they needed that. But when we came home, we could shred up that law because we were there to enforce it with our presence. Do, do you see it? And that's what he's saying. Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill you're not under the law now, you're under the Holy Spirit. And if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're walking in his path and in his will and in his ways, you're going to fulfill the law. I'm sorry, some of you people who are like, I'm not under the law, rock on with your bad self. But if you are truly obeying the word of God and obeying the Holy Spirit, you're fulfilling the law. You know, Leslie, you told me you read this this morning. Jesus said, it is written, the law, do not do this. But I say, it's even bigger. <laughs> like He says, it is written, and I haven't read it lately, so just help me. It says, it is written, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. He one-upped it. Do you see it? So people who say, we're not under the law, just ignorant. I'm sorry, I just have no tolerance for it. Because you're not under the law. You're under greater law. You're under the power of the Holy Spirit and without excuse. Because now the Holy Spirit's empowering you to walk out and to look more like him and enact more like him. And Lord, slow me down. So verses 19 through 21, here are the acts of the flesh that are obvious. Just a sampling of the works of the flesh. Some commentators try to divide them into categories. I just think they're all yucky, and so let's just look at them all. I just want you to keep in mind the fifth column as we're talking about these because these devices, uh, set 19 through 21, these devices are the fifth column working in your life. Anybody like to go fishing? I don't, my sons love to fish. And every year for Christmas, my boys will ask for fishing lures, uh, fishing bait. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what they want. And, and why, why do they ask for that? Because they want to catch fish, do they not? And, and my boys understand that to attract a specific kind of fish, they need a specific bait, do they not? Like, not all fish like worms. And so if they know what kind of fish they want to catch, they have to use the best bait that will attract that fish. Are you with me? Your enemy uses these things that are listed in verses 19 through 21 to bait the hook of your flesh. He comes along with a bait. See, maybe your bait is sexual immorality, and so he'll put some sexy, beautiful woman in front of you that flirts with you or says all the right things, and he'll dangle the, the, the bait in front of you. That wouldn't work for me. You could put a naked man on a horse in front of me and I'd be able to tell you all about the horse. It's just not my thing. Now food, that's my thing. Offense, that's my thing. See, the bait he can put in front of me is somebody does me dirty and what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to rip them apart if I feed my, my flesh. Are you with me? But, but he, can, he can dangle. He knows what, what your weakness is. And so he doesn't bait you. Those things on the list, he, he, that, that doesn't apply to everybody. He's looking for the one thing that he can bait you with that will hook you to get you in rebellion against God so he can drain the life out of you. Maybe that's offense. Maybe that's unforgiveness. Maybe that's hatred. Maybe that's somebody does you so dirty and, and you just can't let it go and you start with hate in your heart and, and, and then you're miserable and you're full of bitterness. I can pick out bitter people. Mm. Dave and I were just talking about somebody tonight that, that I said, I'm going to have to talk to this person because they're filled with bitterness. They're consumed with bitterness and they look at it as strength. <laughs> It's ugly. It's bitter. And I'm so sorry that that person did them wrong. But that person is still draining them of life, and the enemy found a hook to bait them with. And now they'll never know life because they're so caught in that death trap. So he says the, thing, the, the, the um, works of the flesh are obvious. They're plainly recognized. And then he lists them, sexual immorality, which is adultery or uh, 
prostitutes or uh, impurity. Impurity is the word in the Greek is porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. It's illicit sexual intercourse. It's intercourse with anyone but between a heterosexual man and woman married to one another. It's fornication, it's lesbianism, it's intercourse with animals, it's intercourse with, with close relatives, it's intercourse with a divorced man or a woman. I'm just telling you the definition that I got out of the, the Greek dictionary. Debauchery, that's uncleanliness, it's moral impurity. It's often associated with sexual vice. Licentiousness, it's, that's ready for pleasure. It's lack of restraint or decency. It's, it's no shame. You, have no, you sin and you don't even have any shame. It's pleasure at any cost. Unbridled lust. Idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God as the most important thing of your life. See, this one, you say, well, I don't have any little statues that I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping. Nope, that's not what it is. It's anything that you've made an idol in your life, anything that you say is more important than God. It can be your children. It can be shopping. It can be golf. It can be making money. It can be materialism. It can be your soap opera. It, what is more important to you than God? That's idolatry. Witchcraft, that word is so interesting to me. It's pharmakeia. It's where we get our word pharmacology. That word witchcraft literally means the use of drugs. You say, well, how does that work, Rhea? It, it, it distorts your mind. It distorts drugs that, 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 that have ability to distort. That, that word is witchcraft. I just want you to see that pharmacology. Uh, hatred. Uh, it, it is hatred that I don't forgive you. In fact, I hate you. Discord, that's quarreling. Uh, jealousy, it's rivalry. Fits of rage, anger that boils up and then subsides. People who are always on the verge of a meltdown. People who have a short fuse. Selfish ambition, that's electioneering or intriguing for an office. It's a desire to put oneself forward. Look at me, look how great I am. Can I just tell you about everything? It's so great. It's a factious spirit. Dissensions, divisions, factions. Uh, the word division literally means two visions. It's what, when you have a different vision than God. The, the Bible says that a house divided against itself will not stand. When we have a different vision than God, we will fall. Envy, it means to harbor malice or ill will towards another. It's passive aggressive. Drunkenness, drunkenness. Orgies, party, reveling, and then, and the like. One translation says, and things like these. Verse 21, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That word live is, it means to live habitually. One who continuously exhibits these characteristics. It's not when we occasionally lapse into these sins. We're not going to lose our salvation over that. But J. Vernon McGee says, if you can continue to live in sin, you are in a dangerous position. It means you're not a child of God. If you can habitually continue to live in a sin. Next, he lists the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, these are not things we do. Notice the difference. The fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh. I, I do the works of the flesh. The Spirit, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, is, uh, the, the fruits come from abiding, do they not? It's interesting, I looked up the word fruit today, and it says the fruit of one's body, such as a person's offspring. My daughter-in-law, as many of you know, is carrying our third grandchild. And, and that sweet little baby is doing nothing to become offspring. It's just sitting there in her belly. And, and, and that's, that's the picture here, is that when we just abide in the Spirit, when we just sit in His presence, when, when we just let Him hold us, <laughs> then the natural overflow is going to come the fruit, the, these fruits that we see here. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. 
I'm going to have self-control, not because I'm white-knuckling it. We, I work with, uh, my husband and I work with men who have sexual addictions, and, and, and they, many of them are, are deep into pornography, adulterous affairs, working with, pro, you know, uh, frequently prostitutes, and, and, and we work with them. And one of the things that, that we, we see happen often is that when they're caught, <laughs> they have to tell their wife, they white-knuckle it. They, they try really hard to get free themselves, and, and I will always say to them, you cannot white-knuckle this because you're going to end up falling again. And, and see, that's what we want to do. We want to white-knuckle things. We want to try to do it in our own strength. This is not about white-knuckling. This is about abiding in the presence of God and letting him, letting him fill us and deal with those things in our heart. Fruit comes from relationship and from abiding. Jesus himself says, uh, without him we can do nothing. Scott McKnight says the change of terms to fruit invokes a different image, one from human responsibility to one of divine enablement. I, I like that. We can't produce fruit on our own. We know that because of Romans 7, 18. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. The will to produce it is there, but I can't perform it. The intention and the urge to do it is there, but I have no power to, to carry it out. I need the Holy Spirit in me to do it. You cannot do it yourself. I read a great illustration. It was about a man who was wrestling with a stubborn, uncooperative mule. And somebody was passing by as they were wrestling, and he said to the man, where is your willpower? And the man replied, my willpower is all right, but you ought to come in here and see this animal's won't power. And I thought, isn't that appropriate for what we're studying? You see, my willpower is there, but I have flesh that has a won't power that sometimes is so stubborn and wants its own way and won't move. It comes by yielding. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. They, they've crucified the flesh. You see, I, I, I love prayer lines. I, I, you know I do. I, I'm looking forward to these impartation nights and being able to lay hands on people. And I, I believe in deliverance. I actually believe it's a gift of mine. And, and I, I believe that, that God has the power to deliver I believe addictions are going to be delivered during this this uh, this impartation night. I believe I, I believe that God is going to. I'm asking Him for mental illness to be delivered in this impartation night. I believe in deliverance, but I'm going to tell you that there are people that come to me and say, "Ria, pray for this thing," and I want to just say, "You can't cast out a devil you just got done sleeping with." You see, we hold on to things and we want to cast out, but it's the flesh holding it. You can't cast out the flesh. I'm just going to tell you. You have to crucify it. You have to crucify it. One commentator says, um, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This verse is frequently misunderstood. Please notice that the crucifixion of the flesh described here is something that's done not to us, but by us. It is we ourselves who are said to have crucified the flesh. Perhaps I can best expose the, expose the popular misconception by saying that Galatians 5.24 does not teach the same truth as Galatians 2.20 or Romans 6.6. 6. In those verses, we are told that by faith union with Christ, we have been crucified with him. But here it is, we who have taken the action. We have crucified the old nature, and it is now dying, which we have experienced through a union with Christ. It is rather a deliberate putting to death. What does Christ mean? What does it mean? Paul borrows the image of crucifixion, of course, from Christ himself. He said, if any man will come after me and deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. To take up the cross was our Lord's vivid figure of speech for self-denial. Every follower of Christ is to behave like a condemned criminal carrying his cross to the place of execution. We must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see that the execution takes place. 
we are to actually take the flesh, our willful, wayward self, and nail it to the cross. It's a picture of repentance and turning back the old life of selfishness and sin and reputing it utterly and finally. We have to reckon ourselves dead. Uh, Romans 6.11, flip over to that. It says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We have to reckon ourselves dead. We have to, every moment when that flesh rises up, my uh, biological father was a mortician. And he had his embalming area in the basement of his home. And he would tell a story about how he'd be working on a dead body that was clearly dead. And all of a sudden, an arm would fly up. And now, I don't know about you, but if that's me, I would have run out of that place. I could not sleep in that house if I, if I lived there with him. And, and, and he said, I said, well, what would you do? And he said, you just slap it down, Rhea, because you understand it's dead flesh. It doesn't have any power. You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ live within, lives within you. Now reckon yourself dead. When that flesh rises up and you want to get angry, you, you want to do something uh, immoral, you want to, uh, whatever those other lists were, you want to go get drunk as a skunk, you want to get high as a kite, you want to, you, you want to get angry and, and spew on somebody. When that flesh rises up, you need to reckon you need to do the arithmetic and reckon yourself dead and slap that, that dead flesh back down and not let it have any power in your life and submit and yield to the Holy Spirit. He said, reckon yourself dead. He said, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are called to live by the Spirit. We no longer need to live under sin's power or control. God doesn't take us out of the world or make us robots. Instead, he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can say no to ungodliness, so we can say no to unrighteousness. The Bible says everything we need for life and for godliness is in us. We just have to tap into it. We have to tap into it. The devil uh, wants us I actually, I want to turn over to this. Uh, Romans 6, verses 7, and 7 through 10. I promise this is it, and I'm going to close. Romans 6, uh, 7 through 10. This is too good to just gloss over. I want to just read it to you. Romans 6, uh, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived, therefore. I wonder where that's at. Can somebody look at that scripture? Do not be deceived whatsoever. Oh, I know where it is. It's Galatians 6. Let's go back to Galatians 6, 7 through 10. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that too will he reap. For if he sows to his flesh, he, he will reap the flesh. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Oh, do you love it? it all through Scripture, all through Scripture, you see the principle of sowing and reaping. I wish I could get this through my own head, let alone yours. I, the, the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow, we will reap. It's God's principle. You sow jealousy, you're going to reap it. You sow unforgiveness, you refuse to forgive somebody, I promise you, you are going to be in a position where you're going to need forgiveness and somebody's going to refuse to forgive you. Because whatsoever things we sow, that too we shall reap. It's God's principle. And so here he's saying, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to receive life and peace. How many of you are sitting here tonight and say, I need a little peace. I need to feel a little life. I'm feeling pretty dead inside. It's probably because you're sowing to the flesh. And so to my friend who says, Rhea, I like, I like numbers and that needs to all add up to me. Here is the secret. Here are the steps to deal with the sinful nature. I believe I wrote them down today just for that person. And I think you have to start by admitting. You have to admit that our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions is deceitful above all things. We cannot trust it. It will mislead us. We have to just surrender our life daily, 
moment by moment to Christ. We have to get under the spout where the glory comes out. We have to intentionally position ourselves in his presence so he can fill us afresh and anew. We have to say to him, examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. I I promise you, Scripture says that you and I are deceived by the pride of our heart. I do not want to see my yucky stuff. I don't. I am so good about seeing everybody else's, but I don't want to see mine. And I have to say, Lord, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I'm deceived by my pride. I I don't want to see my stuff. And so I'm giving you permission to examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Put your finger on what I don't want to see. Let me see where I'm pulling hell up instead of heaven down. I wrote, commit your actions, thoughts, passions, desires to Christ. Tell him you don't want anything to hinder the work of his spirit in your life. And ask him to give you the power to deny those fleshly desires. And then listen for his voice and yield. The yield. It's in the yield. It's in saying, Lord, I will do whatever you tell me to do. Dave and I had some window washers at our house um, the other day. And I had booked them. I'd never used them before. And I was at work. And Dave called me and he said, Rhea, where did you get these window washers? (laughs) And I said, why? Why? Are they rough? And he said, yes. <laughs> I said, I'll be right home. <laughs> and so I went home, and, and I introduced myself to them, and they were characters, and, but I loved them. They were, they were sweet guys, but they were rough, really super-duper, looper rough. Like, yeah, Dave wasn't exaggerating. And yet the longer I talked to them, the more I liked them. And, and I, I really liked them. And so we were, I was sitting at my desk working, and they were cleaning the windows, and they were ready to go. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to pray for them. And I'm like, oh, no, please. I'll do anything else. You know, I'll give them a book. Uh, it, but could we just negotiate this? Lord, I'll, give them, I'll buy them coffee. And he said, I want you to pray for them. And I'm like, Lord, please. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to think I'm whacked. Please don't make me pray for them. And, and he was just relentless, and I knew the voice. And so I'm like, oh, just if there's any way out. And kind of like delayed because I thought maybe they'll go to their truck and Dave will pay them and I won't have to do it. And, and I walk out, and there he is standing there. And I really actually thought it was for his buddy that was in the car. And I was like, just please don't make me go to the car yet, Lord. And and so I said to him, and I'm hanging my head because I'm like, oh, I know what they're going to think. These are not like these, these are, these are tough guys. And I'm like, they're going to come back and they're going <laughs> to break my windows. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, please don't make me do this. And I said to one of them, I said, just, can you tell me your name? And he told me, and I said, you know, I'm a preacher and he, and he laughed, and he laughed, Dave. And I'm like, okay, here it is, Lord. I told you this was going to happen. And, and, and I said, I'm a preacher, and I know you're going to think I'm super whacked. But I said, I heard God say that I needed to pray for you. Would you be okay if, if I prayed for you? And he laughed. And I thought, okay, I'm in too deep. Now i got to do it. And so I, I went to lay my hand on him. And my heart is pounding because I'm thinking, he's laughing at me. And he did laugh at me. And, and I'm like, ugh. I know this voice, though. I have to yield because my flesh wants to just say, you know, slam the door goodbye. Um, And I began to pray for him, and I was overwhelmed with such love for him as I'm praying for him. And I I just began to pray, just lost all sight of of him and and the awkwardness of the situation. And I said amen and opened my eyes, and I looked at him, and he had tears that were filling his eyes. And I thought, Lord, I could have missed that. Because man judges by the outward appearance, but God judges by the heart. And you knew that tender, sweet thing needed somebody to pray for him. And, and, and had I not yielded to the Spirit, had I not positioned myself that morning uh, under the spout where the glory comes out to hear from God, I would have missed what God was doing. That's so much better than pulling hell up. Can I just tell you? That's so much better. And we get that opportunity every day of our lives. That's the supernatural Christian life. We get to be conduits of his glory. That we get to manifest his presence everywhere we go.
that we don't need to get bogged down by the fifth column that's in our walls ready to bring us down in defeat. Because you see, anytime we give in to those yucky things, what were they? Adultery, sexual immorality, um, drunkenness, orgies, hatred, discord, rage, fits of rage. What were the other ones? Anytime we give in to those, we pull hell up. And we're miserable, I promise you. Even if it feels good for a moment, we are left in a place of misery. Because God's word, which is truth, the only truth we have says that the, the mind that's set on the flesh is death. But the mind that's set on the spirit is peace and life. We get to choose. So if you're sitting here tonight and you're full of death and lacking life, it's probably because you're sowing to the spirit somewhere. No big deal. Not a place for condemnation. Just ask the Lord to empower you and equip you to say no to that, to not fulfill those desires. Do you understand all of heaven is behind you when you do that? You say, well, I don't know. He's God. I don't even see him. He's not here. He's far off and distant. Is he even real? Okay, well, you can think he's not real. Just say, okay, God, if you're there, Rhea says you're real. And Rhea said, if I, if I just talk to you and yield to you, that you'll give me the power to say no to this thing. Just try it. Test him. I'm just telling you that I know he's real and that I know he'll do it. If you only knew the muck and the mire I lived in. And he pulled me up and he put my feet on solid ground. I don't even know how he did it. I tried so hard to do it myself for so long. I tried to clean myself up, but I had so much pain, so much wounding, so much trauma in my life that I could not clean myself up because I kept going to that path over and over and over again. I would try and try harder, and I would just get deeper and deeper and deeper in sin and destruction. But it was when I learned it wasn't about me doing it. It was about what God wanted to do through me. The power to change, bringing heaven down. Yeah. Yeah. So when we engage in those behaviors that were listed there, we pull heaven, we pull hell up. We, we live in rebellion to God. We bring death into our own life versus bringing his manifest presence down and his characteristics, his, his behavior and manifesting that we bring heaven down. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you, Lord, that they're here because they want to hear from you. They're faithful, Lord God. And they're hungry for more of you. I am hungry for more of you. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would so uh, satisfy us, Lord God, with, with, with the more of God that you would just fill us afresh and anew with your sweet Holy Spirit and, and that you would give us such a sensitivity, Lord God, uh, to your spirit, that we would hear your voice guiding and directing us, that, that, that the, you say there's no temptation that ever comes upon us, but that what's common to man and that you will always give us a way of escape. Lord God, I pray that this week, Lord God, when that flesh rises up within us, that you would give us the way of escape and that we would take it, Lord God, instead of indulging in that sinful nature. Lord, bless each one here. Draw us even closer to you, Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus.